Hello and you're very welcome on to episode 4 of the Angus to the Four podcast. On this week's episode, Owen chats to Niall Lynch, the Irish Coordinator for Youth Development Programme in the Irish Aberdeen Angus Association. They chat about Niall's herd, the Angus breed, the show season, the YDP and much more. The podcast is part of our entry into the Certified Irish Angus Schools Beef Competition sponsored by Keepak and APP. We have been announced as one of five finalists in the competition. We will now receive five Irish Angus calves and rear them for 18 months alongside our research project. We will receive our calves at the National Ploughing Championships in Rathanishka County Leach this September. We are really looking forward to this event and are delighted to have reached this stage of the competition. To follow our project to date, access to our innovative bullfinder, videos, new podcast episodes, news and much more, visit angustothefore.com. Now for Owen's chat with Niall. Hi Niall, thanks for partaking on the podcast. Uh, good evening Owen, thanks very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on here today. Niall, you're the Irish coordinator for the Aberdeen Angus Youth Development Programme. But before we talk about the YDP, could you introduce us to yourself and how your involvement in Angus breeding or agriculture, I suppose, came about? Yeah, um, myself here now... Um I'm from Kells in County Mead. Uh, I have a bit of a strange one now to start off with. Uh, I grew up in a house in the state in the middle of a town. Um, but my dad and my granddad were very friendly with the Macaroes, the old castle, and always kept a couple of cattle with them. And basically, from as long as I can remember, I've been down in Macaroes, helping out, sweeping yards, hauling calves. That's basically it. Um, that's how I got into the whole farming side of things, I suppose, and into Angus and got into a love of showing cattle and bringing out cattle and the whole lot. Right. So that's, that's basically my background of how I got into it. You know. What age, I suppose, were you talking, Niall, when it started to kick off and you kind of, I suppose, started to consider maybe uh, getting into agriculture and breeding Angus cattle yourself? I suppose... Um, when I was 14, I got told I was been sent to McEnroe's for a week because my parents were going holidays with me. And I went for a week and I think I stayed the summer. You know, um, back then, I suppose, with John and that, we were showing a lot of cattle. Um, not just Angus, he was big into commercial cattle at the time too. So we would be going to most shows with maybe 10, 12 cattle to most shows. like, And we were probably doing maybe 10 to 15 shows in a summer. You know, so it's fairly, it's fairly intense kind of summers down there. Then between that, you are constantly doing something around the farm. And it's just, it's just something I love doing. I, I remember going through to do my leaving cert and that, and I was hell-bent on going to Bally Hayes, and my mother was applying for me to go to do different apprenticeships, and I went and done the applications for them, but... There was no swaying me away from going to Bally Hayes. At the end of it all, I said I was going to Bally Hayes and I was going to go on and do a farm management course from there. So that's where it all started, really. So um, I take it, would that have kind of landed you near enough to Fordell Angus or is that more down the line, Niall? It was probably more down the line. Um, I done, when I done the leaving start, I done uh, just a basic green start course in Bally Hayes, which was a year... And from that year, I done uh, nine months placement at Chickenstown, 
uh, lucky enough at the time would have known Jerry Smith who was in as an advisor at Town, who got me my placement there um, from that nine months in Town, I applied to the farm management course in Kildalton and done two more 12 month placements on two suckler beef farms and tillage farms one in Kilkenny and another one up beside Drogheda they are just uh, on the mead side of Drada, like so. That's basically where I went there. Um, from that, I kind of I went working for uh, Jerry Henshey, um, who had the Friarstown herd down in Limerick. Uh, I spent nine months working with Jerry. Uh, had a good relationship with Jerry. We put in a lot of envelopes, done a lot of. Um, he was buying a lot of cattle in the UK. At the time, we were bu- he was buying a lot of embryos out of America. Um, but just from that, it's just I was probably a bit too young to kind of manage a farm at the time. I was only 21. And I just, I was probably just a bit too young and too naive to manage Jerry's farm at the time and what he wanted. So we parted ways. And from that, I ended up going to Fordell. Uh, probably that was in the October of 2007. I had known David Ismail a number of years at the time. I'd, I remember going to power bull sales with John McEnroe at two bulls in the one year, and I ended up spending most of the weekend helping uh, for that with their bulls with David Nine at the same year. So Dave asked if I could help out with them too when I was there. What age were you then um, in 2007 when you left home for, for Scotland? 2007, I would have been just coming up on 23. So after, yeah, it would have been just coming up on 23 when I headed off to Scotland. The kind of original plan was I was going for six months and the following summer my plan was to maybe travel over to America, Canada and spend a couple of years over there before the World Forum in 2009. But that never materialised. I fell in love with Scotland. It's probably the easiest way to put it. Um, Met a very good core group of friends over there that I still talk to now since I've come back and just couldn't get over the scale of what was going on over there. Like, um, I suppose Scotland, we're similar size to Ireland. The farms are so much bigger. You know, most herds are running maybe 200 cows on average, like. And I, yeah, what sort of numbers then were, were Fordell running at that time, now? And um, back in 2007, when I went there, we there was uh, 500 cows. Uh, there was 450 purebred Angus cows and about 50, maybe 60 crossbred cows right. um, at the time. And they also had about 800 crossbred sheep as well. So, to my joy, I didn't have to do anything with the sheep. So it was it was quite joyful that way. Yeah. Uh, and like when you went over there, were you working and generally, I suppose, promoted yourself up to farm manager at Ford Angus? Yeah, I started as a as just general stockman at Ford L. Uh, like to be honest, when I went over there, uh, it was the end of October. So they were just coming into their winter months. Uh, all the cows would have been weaned. Kind of early to mid November, you would have had a bull selection being done then on wean calves, where we'd run every calf across the scales 
and between myself, the farm manager, and David Ismail, the owner, we'd all score every calf out of 10 of what we thought. Um, and then we'd go through the whole score and we'd pick out the best ones again. And we, it was just a way of, you weren't just picking the good, strong calves. You looked at every single calf. So back then we were keeping maybe 60 bull calves out of approximately 250 and everything else was castrated. So they were going to beef and sold the stores and the castrated ones and the bull calves that were kept were kept on over the winter on a, a different diet than the store cattle. Right, and the customer base for the bulls then was commercial herds now, I suppose? Customer base back in 2007 onwards, um, for, for three, four years, it was mainly repeat customers on commercial herds. You know, um, so the, big, the big difference between the UK and Ireland is 90% of our bulls here go to dairy men, and 90% of their bulls over there go to suckler men. You know, it's I, I think over the... 10 years I spent at Fort if I sold 15 bulls to dairy farmers in total, would be about it. Everything else is going to dairymen, uh, not to dairymen, sorry, to suckermen. And uh, at the time, we were breeding bulls, probably going for the bigger, heavier sort of bulls, uh, selling them at 18 months onwards, and maybe bringing seven to eight bulls every year to the February bulls sales in Park and Sterling. Right, and was, you know, society sales like that or summer shows a big thing with Fordell or, or was it not? No, um, but this, the society sale in Park and then eventually Sterling was the main sale for the bulls. And uh, we've done no showing at all. It was the only, that one weekend at the, at the February bulls sales was the only showing we've done. Um, we didn't do the October sales because we were calving mid-March to uh, kind of end of May and the bulls weren't strong enough to have them for October sales. You know, they were near, uh, to be straight up, most of the bulls over there have been sold at 18 to 22 months at their society sales. Yeah. Um, a lot of guys over there have the facilities to hold bulls that long compared to what we have over here. There's very few herds over there will be selling bulls under 15 months, like. Okay. Um, then I suppose you mentioned the numbers and you mentioned that sort of a compact uh, calving season uh, within the herd. Was it stock bulls that was ran with the herd or AI or was was that quite a mixture or not? It was actually, at the start, it was a, a mixture of both. Um, we calved 500 cows in approximately nine weeks. It sounds like when I went over first, it's like when they started talking about calving 500,000 a week, I was freaking out. You know, it's like thinking this is madness. But if you have the right facilities, the right, not even the right shed, the right handling area, there's no more work in 100 cows than there is 500 cows. You know, it's, it's all about handling the cattle right and you'll move through them fairly quickly. Um, as for breeding, we the cows calved uh, mid March to end of May, early June. 
the stock bulls went out normally around the 10th of June again. Uh, normally there was maybe 100 to 150 cows would be AI'd of the earliest calf months. They would get one dose of AI and that would be it. Then they go straight to a stock bull uh, 24 hours after being AI'd. Like. Okay. I suppose then um, when you're trying to calve 500 cows in nine weeks, um, Angus is probably the right breed to be going down to. Yeah, like um, we we were originally at the start, but we were calved maybe 200 cows out in the hill outside. Um, it was, now there was a fair lot of work in that because you could have cows calving and then you mightn't find them an hour later because they would have hit themselves in the wind bush, like, you know, so it there was a bit of chaos that way and you'd come across two other cows. Uh, that was kind of for the first two to three years I was there. Uh, around 2010, we built two new sheds and we uh, rented another portion of land that had two sheds on it, which meant we could outsource, uh, move a lot of our weaning stock out to other farms then and have more of the cows centralized on the, centralized on the main farm for calving. Uh, we also got in, in with a guy who was a tillage farmer who took all our heifer weanlands every year for the winter. Mm. And um, basically on a bed and breakfast type scheme. So that was that helped there too. So we kind of moved more to full indoor calving in 2010, I think it was. And the idea behind that was we'd get the cows calved and within normally six to eight hours of calving, the cow and calf has gone to a field. You know, the, maybe heifers might stay in a half a day or so, or maybe a day, but normally within eight hours they are gone from the shed out to a field, tagged into a group like. Okay, right. Just maybe to touch on the genetics um, within the herd, was it mainly UK, Scottish genetics, or were AI bulls or stock bulls then? Um, imported from the likes of Canada or America? Yeah, um, in 2009, um, I went to the World Forum in Canada and spent another two weeks travelling around basically Alberta, Saskatchewan and down into Montana looking at different genetics and stuff on behalf of David Ismail and I picked up a couple of different bulls that we like to look of um, at the time, we couldn't import our semen, and we went down looking at um, planting embryos. So we had the, at the time, we noticed that our cow weights were creeping up into average about 900 kilos, but the calf weights weren't getting any better. Uh, one thing about Fordell is it was zero creep feeding. Uh, no calves got any creep feeding until they were weaned off cows. So all your daily live weight gains that you were getting in November, time of weaning, were all off just grass and milk. And at that time, we were averaging uh, about 1.2 kilos a day on heifers and 1.4 on bulls. And we noticed the cow weights were going up without calf weights increasing. And we looked into we looked into bringing in embryos from America, and we sourced a lot of. A lot of sad genetics was a lot of the cows lines went back to a lot of sad genetics. Uh, we used the cow champion Hill Lucy who 
has bred um, for the lockdown uh, that's been highly used in the country at the moment in Ireland. But, uh, but uh, we crossed her originally across this upwards, a bull that I seen in 2009. I reckon he's probably one of the longest bulls ever seen. He was a very powerful bull, not small, not overly big, but not small. Um, and he had a, he had a couple of falls. He probably had the nice of the heads about him, but was a, a very good, grotty sort of a bull all the same. We used him first and bred uh, three bulls that we used him for that lot, for the Loch Torridon, uh, Loch Rannock and Loch Arn, which end up being probably three of the main herd sires for a lot of years there in Fordell. Um So those three bulls would be half-brothers to um, lockdown there at the moment. Uh, after that, we sourced embryos too within Scotland. Uh, Johnny Elliott was selling some embryos one year. There were American embryos as well of uh, Stockman 365. Um, and we used them so it's mainly mainly American genetics we went down the line of. Uh, so a lot of people told us we were probably a bit mad because the Americans had started to go quite small with their cattle at the time. But we took the gamble on it and I suppose toward the gamble worked out in the end. If you look at a couple of AI catalogs now, you have in the last few years, you have Ford and Minnesota Prime there for a couple of years. Was in AI, there's uh, Fordle Ben Marie in AI, there's Fordle Lockdown in AI. There's just three of the bulls that end up in AI. Uh, oh, they go back to all these embryos we brought in. But the biggest one I found with was a lot of pedigree breeders started to come source bulls for Dell. You know, in the last couple of years before I left, um, there was a lot of guys coming buying bulls uh, that were more, I suppose, Charlie Cemental men. They were using Charlie and Cemental bulls on their fattening cows for breeding bullocks for fattening that. And they'd start picking up more of these American genetics because they were quicker finishing. They were easy carving, like, so. Right. That, was, that was the way we went there, like, and I suppose then on AI... We were using a couple of salve bulls that had come available in salve grave and salve solid gold. And we were also taking semen of our own embryo stock bulls to increase the use on them throughout the herd too. Yeah, no, it definitely seemed to pick up um, things in the herd and, um, and really give the herd that name. But now you've given all your experience in, in genetics uh, and breeding between Scotland, Ireland, and now you're after mentioning the American and Canadian genetics you brought in. Is there any notable differences between the type of cattle you've seen in, in your travels, let's say, um, Niall? Yeah, I suppose the biggest difference is the size of the hardness of cattle. Like, a lot of Scottish breeders and even a certain amount of Irish breeders just want to get the animals bigger. You know, they're trying to create black charlies is how I would describe some of them. You know, um, I do believe that we have to try and... If we, growth rate is a massive thing we need to keep up with. 
but we can't go into massive growth either because with going too extreme on some things, you start losing other things, other benefits in the breed. Uh, I think if we go too much on too big a cattle, we're going to lose more and more of our Cavanese. I even find that there at the moment, some of the bulls that have come out there in the last few years, like, they're down as easy calving bulls, but I don't believe some of them are easy calving bulls. I don't, I don't believe you should need, need to go put a hand on an Angus cow unless she has a problem. You know, unless there's a leg back or a calf coming backwards, an Angus cow should be able to calf a calf. No Angus breeder really should have, should have to be investing in a calving jack, you know? Is what I would say. Um, throughout the world, like I, I, I say, throughout the world, I've, I've only been to in Montana and Canada, you know, and that. Uh, yeah, like the Americans are probably. I I love the American style of cattle, but I do believe they're probably gone a little too small now. Um, but I also believe that they cross very well across Irish bred animals. We, we've managed to keep our animals, kind of the majority of our animals in this country, in between being too big and too small. They're just that nice, moderate size with great power and great character. Uh, most lads will say to you, the first thing that goes in the bin is the head. I think one of the first things you need to look at is the head in an Angus animal. It's... It's where it all begins, isn't it? It's, nice. If the head's not nice, you're not going to like the animal. You know, if you can't look at it every day with a nice head, you're not going to want to keep it about the place. Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I suppose that's something that that is very prominent in the Irish genetics currently and maybe not so much in the UK. Um, but, but no, the, the, the UK guys don't, don't really regard it too much, like, which I find mad, but... And then to speak on the like of Canada, um, is this an importance there? Would you think not? Yeah, like the Canadians and Americans, they are. They, they, like I, I do listen to some other podcasts there, and they do be talking about character and stuff. And I would actually say their heads are improving over there the whole time. The character of their cattle is improving the whole time, and. So, like, I suppose one of their biggest faults over there that we all have is they're liking this dip in their back of the animal and the high tail and gussiness. Um, so it's getting harder and harder to find cattle over there, but they're all, everyone seems to be following the same route. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I think, look, it, it swings and roundabouts in Everton. It's not that long ago. We were on very, very big cattle here in Ireland. Or that you know, even if you look at, if you go down on the UK database now, there's a lot more smaller size genetics. Not, I'm not mean smaller, but more moderate frame genetics creeping into a lot of the big herds in the UK. You know, the likes of your Rawburns, your your uh, Nethersons. They are. They're all starting to use more and more American stuff again to kind of breed in a bit more moderate frame into the animals because uh, an animal needs 2% of its body weight and dry matter every day in feed weight so if you're breeding a 900 kilo cow she's going to eat a lot of silage in the winter compared to a 750 kilo cow you know I think it's all about efficiency and keeping everything moderate and not going too extreme yeah yeah exactly 
Um, I suppose to move along there, Niall, uh, you would have left for the Angus, um, and I think as of now you're the farm manager at Cranmore, Aberdeen Angus, uh, local to you in County Mead. Where did that transition uh, come from, or did you just want to get back home, Niall? Yeah, I suppose I'd spent 10 years in Fort Isle and I'd always planned on coming home and my partner, Rain, she, even though she's Scottish, she loves Ireland. So we decided in the uh, end of 2017 that we'd, we'd make leap and move back to Ireland. Uh, came back to Ireland first in 2018, uh, kind of in 2018, and I started working with the family. No, sorry, I'm wrong. I... First, when I came back from Ireland, I got, went back into Jiggington for a few months. Uh, I got talking to Joe. He needed a bit of help there with our sale, getting heifers clipped and ready. So I said I'd give him a hand with that. And then he said to me that Max was heading off for the summer to Ukraine. Would I stay on for the summer? So I said I would. And went back into Jiggington, just kind of just as a general worker. More than anything, I'd, done, I'd probably spend more time sitting on the tractor than I did working with cattle, but... That I don't mind that. I kind of I quite enjoy a bit of machinery work along with along with the cattle work. The great thing about farming, there's such great variation in it, you know. So after I spent the summer in Jingatown, I went with farm relief. I went milking cows for a guy for a while. Uh, two places actually. I went milking cows just outside Navan, and as a general stockman and a relief milker. And then I went to another guy just outside Kells here who had robots. Where it was grand, I just wasn't enjoying it. Um, at the end of the day, I love the pedigrees, you know, love the show. And, you know, I find the dairy work where I know it's our main income for pedigree breeders at work selling bulls is the dairy line, but I just find there's not enough variation in a lot of the work that goes on. It's the same thing every day. So uh, I didn't, I wasn't just enjoying it. Um, Seen an ad in the paper one day, I made a phone call and that's where Cranmore came out of. There was a, a new herd been set up here in County Mead. Uh, at the time he had, after buying seven females from Managitai in the Tara herd, and he was buying bullocks for fattening. So that's where that came from. He was after buying a small farm, it's now about 220 acres. So with a small bit of tillage, uh, we've 20 pedigree Angus cows and we rear between 150 to 200 Angus cross dairy cows every year and bring them through to beef. Right, so the herd is only established then in 2018? 2019. 2019, 2019 the herd is established. Right, and so, uh, where were the, the last of the genetic source then to, to bring the herd up to its current size? Um, we we had bought uh, seven heifers off Maliki, um, Louie Byrne at Tom Ryland then, who was having a reduction sale. I bought a cow with a heifer calf off Louie. Uh, she was a, a nine-year-old cow at the time, but I just thought she was a lovely cow with a lot of traditional genetics in her. Um, then I bought two heifers off Leo McEnroe at List Duff. Um, as well, so that's where all the female lines have come from. Um, the first year then as well, I bought a bull from Hart Peace up in County Monaghan. Um, kind of went back to my Fordle kind of lines here and I bought a, 
a sad harvester son of a DMM Black Essence cow out of Canada. So it was kind of mixing it up then where the cattle that came from Maliki had a lot of uh, Ludmore genetics in them which would have went back to Rawborn genetics, you know, uh, and that, so there was a lot of that, so across this American style bull across that, and then it was also across of the traditional Irish genetics from Louis Burns as well, was used in the American bull as well, so it's, it was, okay, it's been interesting the last couple of years, it? matching up these cows and which ones are clicking with the, the bull, you know, for the last couple of years, and then I bought the two heifers from Leo McEnroe in, I think now, oh, Christmas 21, he had non-farm sale just after Christmas. And I put the two of them in calf to the bull, and yeah, so they, both them cows had two heifer calves last year, which was quite good too, so that's yeah. that's where the, the female lines have all come from at the moment. Yeah. Kind of a, it's kind of still gathering my foot, and I know it's only a small number. You're kind of still trying to figure out who's what's what and who can do what, you know, uh, probably used a bit more AI this year on them than I normally would. Uh, normally it was only AI and maybe four or five of them and putting the bull in with everyone else. But it was quite hard to be watching for AI heat when you're rearing 150 calves. So it was easier to throw the bull in sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um... Then when you're AI in or I suppose this year what what your picks in terms of AI bulls for for the pedigrees? AI AI bulls this year, um I suppose I suppose a lot of the the reason I went more AI this year is in twenty twenty one yeah, kinda of spring twenty one into autumn twenty one, um I had a lot of heifer cars born. And into the same into spring 22, there was a lot, a lot of heifer cars bought. So that meant I couldn't use the stock bull on these heifers. Um, so I was kind of, I was kind of a bit stumped on what to use AI. And then a couple of things caught my eye. Um, one, I seen one day on Facebook, there was a man selling 10 KTF Rebels draws, so I bought all of them off him. Have I seen a lot of rebel daughters in Hamilton in 2015 in Canada? And I absolutely love the bull, the daughters of them. So I used a good bit of rebel this year. I've also used a good bit of, um, Ballyard Top Gun out of Bova. Um, and the main reason for using him is he's a fifth upward son, which I had great success with in Fordell as well. Um, then there was a couple of cows. We put a bit of a uh, stupid bomber on them. Uh, but yeah, no, it's kind of it's kind of more than American Canadian type genetics I've been using if I can. Right. You know. Um, so, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose then. Uh, you said the the short term plan. Are you trying to increase numbers and retain heifers um, as replacements? Yeah, well, I've, I've put, there's, um, I have to actually sell my uh, stock bull this year, uh, the Stav Harvester son. I sold them down, sold them to Donald Spring, um, 
and Colin McCormick from the Steelheart, the two boys bought the bulls between them uh, because I had so many daughters and I'm after um, I've retained nine daughters at the moment are running with a new stock bull that I bought off John McEnroe um, the new stock bull is by uh, a bull called Jingatown Rolls Rice who was oh he's a bull going back to 2003 he was born uh, John John had bought him in 2003. He's a Siemens S. Rice 741C uh, son. And John had took semen off on farm use. And he was still using a bit of the semen. He bred a bull there. And he's also, his dam is the grand dam of this Bruno, who was the 10,000 euro bull last year from the extravaganza. So, yeah, so, so long story short there, um, I, I retain nine heifers there. I, they're all running with the bull now. He's in with cows too. That all the cows actually got AI this year, just to not kind of give him too much work because he was a young enough bull. And um, so I've kept those heifers. And um, yeah, my plan is probably to go to about maybe twenty-five, thirty cows max. Um, I might even go with that. I might sell some of the heifers in calf, you know, or maybe next spring with calves at first. Um, I also then have uh, another seven or eight young heifers. They are born in the kind of autumn 22 in the spring 23 here. So I don't know. I I might maybe offer one or two of them there for sale there later this year as maiden heifers too. That's kind of where we're going at the moment. But at the moment, the kind of plan is to kind of go 25 cows. I think is probably going to be our max number. It doesn't sound like a lot of cows, but when you're trying to, we we do on the farm, we do all our own work, so all, we don't get contractors into it, and also outside it, everything is done by ourselves as well. The only thing we get a contractor in to do is combine the 50 acres of barley for us, um, so, and I'm on my own 90% of the time as well. So it's, um, it's a lot of work going up in cow numbers when you're, rearing 150 calves, bringing them all through to beef um, and doing everything else at the same time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it seems like there's more of an emphasis on the quality in the herd than the quantity anyway. Um, yes, quality and um, efficiency is a big one. You know, a lot of my thing is they have to look after themselves. The great thing about the stop bull I had, you know, and it was one of the best-selling factors he had was didn't have to t- look at him when the cows were calving. Like, he'd go in, the calf be up sucking the cow. You know, he was brilliant. He's, like, he's, he's a super bull. Like, I, I, I just, for temperament, everything, like, you could walk up to him in 25 acre field and just start scratching him. Like, he'd just stand there, you know, happy enough with you. That's the Sav Harvester bull, is it? Right? That was the Sav, Sav Harvester, yeah. Karagi Ronaldo was his name. Okay. You know, and, and the great, the great thing about him too is um, I've had uh, two years of bull sales now off him. I sold bulls off farm up to four and a half thousand off him and everyone that's bought bulls off this bull has like been ringing me like going, have you got more? You know, just like this year I didn't have to leave the farm once. I sold all my bulls out of the yard. Right. You know, it was, it was great that way. Like, Yeah. And I suppose, yeah, speak a bit more maybe of your bull sales. I know you were saying you had a lot of heifer calves and maybe that ruled ruled out um, 
a massive sale of bulls, let's say, but uh, what yeah, sort of numbers? I, 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 I only had trade? five bulls to sell this spring. So, oh, from what you said? Yeah, no, I, 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 had, I only had five bulls to sell this spring because I had, um, I, I think there was only there was only seven bull calves born. Two of them I kind of I just beat. I didn't think they were good enough. And I had I was I think it was nine or ten heifer born heifer cows born the, the previous year. So there was only five bulls for sale this spring, and every one of them just they were nearly all. Um, there was one new buyer. Well, they were all new buyers, but they'd all been told by other men in discussion groups to go up and buy bulls. You know, so I was counting near enough as repeat customers because it was previous customers that were pushing on these men to come up to me to buy the bulls. So, where I had to enter bulls for the sale in Nina in May, I actually didn't even need to go to it in the end. I, all my bulls were gone by the start of May down. So all, all five know. sold on farm? All five sold on farm. All I have, I have one bull left, but he's only just gone a year old there in the last week or two, so he's too young to sell to anyone at the moment, so he'll be Held on to the back end uh, for someone then, like yeah, yeah. Um, just a quiz on your two stock was like uh, I take it maybe the Sav Harvester bull could carry stars and figures, but the Jigginstown Rolls Rice bull, I suppose, is older genetics and maybe wouldn't. Uh, would I be right in saying that, or is that something you'd, you'd look at? Hundred percent. Um, I suppose the big thing was the Sav Harvester bull had a very high dairy beef index. And he's actually the highest Angus bull in the country for carcass as well. Um, so he was basically five star across the board. I think um, he was 29 stars out of 30 if you add up the, within and across breeds. You know, um, so he was absolutely fantastic. So on that, I could actually afford to take a little hit, I thought. Well, I presume I can take a little hit on this new bull. This new bull is only uh, maybe three and four stars, you know, but look, as I, as I always say about figures, it was the same with when we were, were working at Ford L. You look at the animal, you like the pedigree, then you use the figures to push you over the line. You know, they're only there for a guide. I think they're probably too pushed on people you know there's there's cattle getting through the loose there has been sold as good cattle but they're only good cattle on paper you know like it's it's an animal has to please your eye first and foremost you know and about the new stock bull I just kept getting drawn back to him when I went to look at the bulls and John and I just knew to me before I even knew what his breeding was or anything I kept saying to myself, this is the bull I want, because I just, I just loved him. And then, when I seen his pedigree start, I just then said, yeah, definitely, I'm not leaving without this bull. You know, and figures weren't even considered then. Yeah. You know, so, that's, that's the way I looked at it. You know, and I, I, I might be wrong, but in my mind, I'm right, and I'm happy every day I drive by the paddock and see the bull in it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I suppose, like, when you're selecting the cows or heifers he goes to, 
is it all um, a physical examination or are you examining figures on heifers to try and match them with your higher stars you know cattle so you can balance things out no, it, it like, uh, I, I'm more of a man that kind of like I, I matched like there when I was you, doing the AI this year and picking out what bulls to put to what cows I was kind of comparing the cows to go what way to bred to the previous bull um, stars and figures never came into the consideration you know it was all about the pedigree and what way they clicked with three other bulls with you know, with kind of not the same pedigree, but the similar type animals within the pedigree. You know, and that's the way I was doing it. And you know, that, like, I, I I do I do understand the need for figures. I do understand. You know, I do, I just think there are too many people just push the figures too much. You know, and like I I'll be honest, when I advertise bulls, I will put up that dog or five star whatever or Cavanese is whatever you know um, but and I do think you, you need to like if you've got a, a big cow and she's breeding big playing calves you need a smaller ticker bull for you know and by looking at a piece of paper telling you that she's five star for calving or replacement or terminal that ain't going to tell you if the bull is smaller or ticker like you know it's it's the pedigree that tells you that or the bull that you know by looking at. And there's very few of the bulls that I will use in AI even. But I, I need to see a video of them at least, you know. Like, showing you pictures is grand, but I need, I need, I like to see a video of a bull move. You know, see what way he walks, you know, what he looks like. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I suppose, now before moving on to your involvement with the YDP, um, I suppose it's kind of evident you have experience in the show ring yourself. Uh, I've often bumped into you. Uh, but I suppose are you bringing out cattle uh, this year or in current year, previous years, let's say, um, with the Cromwell you know herd? Um, I suppose COVID put a big stop on everything there for the last few years. Like, as I said, Cranmore only started in 2019. And our first cows were only born autumn 2019, and then COVID hit spring 2020, so that stopped that. So last year was the first year I could do anything. And I suppose, yeah, I'd done a bit of showing last year. Um, I had two nice heifer cows by the stock bull, and I had a nice cow, a first calver that I bought from Leo Macno, one of the heifers I bought from. She was the mother of one of the heifer cows, so I showed the cow for calf at foot, and I showed her uh, October-born heifer. I suppose, how would I describe it? I had an up-and-down year. Um, I suppose that's shown, isn't it? Um, I left Old Castle show last year, disappointed, thought I could have done better. I don't know, it wasn't just the heat on the day was upsetting me more than anything. But uh, I went to Tullamore, and my cow came third in the cow class, and the two heifers came fourth in the pairs and I think there is either fourth and sixth or fifth and seventh in the kind of September onwards heifer class at Tullamore so look I was delighted that day you know there's there's a lot of men there showing a lot, a lot longer than I am there and with a new heart to go out and pick up a few rosettes at a few shows I was very happy you know um, I like to show and uh, I won't go huge into it. Uh, I was just 
kind of thinking about it there today, what, what the plan is for this year. Um, we have our local show, Fingal, next Saturday. I, I've pre-entered for that. I'll probably do Old Castle. Uh, I'll do the All-Ireland at Plume on the bank holiday Monday. I haven't decided if I'm going to do Tullamore this year or not. Uh, for me, Tullamore is a very long day. It's kind of 5 o'clock in the morning to 8, 9 o'clock that night, you know. And It's grand if you can relax on the Monday, but I have to be back into work at half eight, nine o'clock Monday morning to get ready for the next week, you know. So, mm. um, so I, I think I think I'll only do maybe a half dozen shows, maybe if even that, you know, more the local shows in the kind of the mead area. Um, I, I suppose the, the other the other contributing factor to the whole lot is I'm quite involved in my local football club and with the youth development too as well. That takes up. Uh, two days nearly every fortnight as well, you know, between setting it up and having the workshops over the summer, like, you know, so, yeah, I I, I don't know where I, what I would say, I, I love the show, if I had more time to do it, I'd do more of it. It's probably the easiest way to put it, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You know. uh, so, sure, look, we'll discuss your role as Irish coordinator for the Aberdeen Angus Youth Development Programme. So firstly, yeah. can you tell us a bit about the Aberdeen Angus Youth Development Programme, Niall, what it entails and its purpose? Yeah, well, the Youth Development Programme is there to bring on the next generation of dark men and women to teach them from the basics up to the very technical side of things on bringing out cattle um like we we have we have our workshops where mainly show based, you know. There's um, on the days of the workshops you have your numerous show based things in clip and groom and ring craft, stock judging, you know how to handle cattle the whole lot. But like on the as you get older in the youth development, um, we also have our kind of senior conferences. Uh, we have two every year where we go to a different part of either the UK or Ireland, there's herd visits, then there'll be technical meetings with, you know, like um, guys from AI companies, uh, embryo transplant companies, meat processors, that sort of stuff. So, like, it's, it's a, a wide range of different activities that go on. The, the junior section starts at eight years of age up to 24. But then from... 18 upwards to 30 is open for the senior conferences. You know, so it's it's a lot it's a lot of stuff that goes on. Like it's it's a very wide range of program. Niall, when did your involvement begin with the YDP, uh, and what does your role as Irish coordinator entail? Yeah, my involvement with YDP started shortly after I came back to Ireland, 2018. Um, there was a guy in England, uh, Andrew Shufflebottom was his name, who had the Cheerbrook card. Um, unfortunately, Andrew has died since. But um, Andrew was, I was very friendly with Andrew. He, I bought a couple of bulls from him for Fordell. And he made contact with me one day and asked me, would I consider applying, uh, applying for the role of a regional coordinator? That at that time, before 2018, it was, there was one coordinator for the whole of the UK and Ireland. 
and they felt that it was probably just too much work on one person. So they were changing the system to have a national coordinator and then have regional coordinators. So there was going to be an Irish coordinator, a Scottish one, and two in England. So Andrew approached me, asked me would I apply for it at least and see how I get through the interview process the whole lot. And I managed to, managed to ace the interview, I suppose, is the easiest way to put So I started as the YDP coordinator for Ireland in spring 2019. Uh, I suppose the, the YDP events or the workshops in Ireland are about to kick off, so... Could you conform us, uh, inform us, um, Niall, of the upcoming dates in which these workshops are, are taking place? Yeah, well, we've actually already had one workshop in Northern Ireland there on the 15th of April up on Alan Cheney's farm. So we've already held our Northern Irish workshop back in April, which was a great success on the day. We had, I think we had 18 or 19 kids between juniors, intermediates and seniors, and... Um, but going forward now for the summer, our next workshop is this Saturday coming on the 24th of June on John McEnroe's List Aberdeen Angus Heard in Old Castle Park to Mead. Uh, then two weeks later, our work, we have a workshop on the 8th of July on the Herd of Dr. Felicity McGrath at Gort Malone, Banless Low County Galway. And then our final workshop is on the 22nd of July on Shane Murphy's herd, uh, Mercury Aberdeen Angus, in Bantier in County Cork. So we've three workshops now over the next six weeks, and they're kind of spread two weeks apart over the next six weeks, starting this Saturday. Okay. Could you give us a bit of an insight, I suppose, to what will happen at these workshops and what skills or learnings can attendees gain a further understanding of uh, at the workshop. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of workshops. This, uh, our workshops, all our workshops are hands-on workshops. So whether you're not of the experience, it's all working with animals. And, and the workshops are based around three or four main things. Uh, you have clipping and grooming of the animals. So everyone will be showing how to use clippers when you get to do a bit of clipping. Uh, there's different amounts of clipping depending on your age. Uh, juniors will be clipping heads, intermediates. Uh, so your junior, sorry, let's go back there a little bit. Um, your junior section, your junior sections run from eight to fourteen, and then your intermediate section runs from fourteen to eighteen, and your senior section is eighteen to twenty-four. And the way we run the workshops is the kids are kind of scored on the different sections. Um, a lot of them don't even know they're being scored because the judges are going around scoring them and they don't even know what's going on. And uh, you have a, everyone does clipping, everyone does grooming of the animals. We do a whole bit on ring craft, on the show and how to handle animals in the show ring, how to change halters, tie up cattle properly. Um, and then we do stock judging as well. Uh, I suppose the stock judging one in Ireland were very good at judging the animals, but we always kind of lag behind a little bit when we go to the finals in the UK, when we have to explain how we place the animals or just the etiquette I'm talking to the 
judges. So we're kind of we're pushing that mainly this year as one of the main things on improving that with our Irish competitors. So yeah, um, yeah, the workshops are kind of they are. There's a lot going on on the day. Uh, everyone gets split up into their different sections, and like depending on the number of kids that are in each section, they might only they might get split up again. Uh, normally, kind of tend to work maybe two to three kids max per animal. You know, we try to keep it two if we can, uh, so they have a lot of space to work, and they're not all crowding one to one animal and upsetting the animal either. Uh, just tell us, Niall, who's welcome to attend the the like of these workshops? Uh, what Everyone age is welcome. As well? The 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 main thing about uh, the Aberdeen Angus workshops is you you're welcome whether you're a sheep breeder, a horse breeder, a Charlie, an Angus, it doesn't make a difference. We'll accept everyone into them. You know, if there is a few adults that want to come along on the day as well, there are new breeders of that, to see what's going on, to learn a few things, that's no problem uh, as well. Uh, The only one thing we have is you have to be over eight years of age just for insurance purposes. Uh, But other than that, Anyone's welcome, whether you have experience or no experience. We all have to start somewhere, you know. So everyone's treated the same. So you touched on there, Niall. The YDP offers a chance for, uh, I suppose, the people who attend to represent their country in the UK, competing against England, Scotland, and Wales, and numerous aspects of ringcraft. This year's finals, um, if I'm right, will be hosted by Rosmed, Aberdeen, Angus, and Scotland. Uh, d- at the end of September, can you further explain how the competition is ran uh, and the stakes and experiences involved? Yeah, well, it's actually sorry, just to correct you there, oh, uh, it's Rosmead in England. England, right? Uh, it's it's the herd of Angus Stovall who judged our All Ireland last year. He's hosting the final this year. Um, just to go back, uh, just a little step on the final. In my first year in 2019, uh, we actually hosted the final in Ireland in Drumshambo Equestrian Centre, where we had great success at. Um, I suppose, before I go down the route to talk about the finals, we in Ireland have had great success down through the years. Uh, we've had numerous senior winners, numerous junior and intermediate winners. You know, down through the years, we have a, a great reputation in the competition of not only being able to bring out winners every year but we're able to turn up with new winners every year we always seem to have a new batch of kids coming along the whole time you know and the, the, I suppose the main reason we have that is because we have great parents in this country you know we have great families that want to help kids um, the likes of John McEnroe there at Old Castle like only for John I wouldn't be involved in farming you know, he got, he got me into it, taught me a lot down through the years. But, like, John there, like, he hosts the workshop, but he would go around ringing people this week looking for people to go to that workshop. Even if I have 20 kids signed up for it, John will probably end up dragging out another 10, you know, on the day. Like, he's done it for years, but it's the work of the likes of John, the work of, Albert the Kogan down through the years helping out, your John Tate, you know, your Shane Murphy, your Yusuf Burks, all these guys, they do such a great job of promoting the YDP as well. And 
that's that's one of the main factors we do well but the real main factor is the parents of the kids just want to help out like everyone wants to help out you know like you have the likes of Enda Carney there who's a new enough leader you know he comes to maybe two maybe three workshops a year there's a couple of guys in the north that go to a couple of workshops a year you know they're all about promoting the whole thing they know that the youth are our future you know so that's that's one of the things about the whole lot of it and um, I suppose to go back to the finals then we, we, we score the kids on the different sections on the day they're scored out of 50 points on the different there's a, a breakdown of clipping there's a breakdown of grooming the same with ring craft a lot of it to do with you know a, a lot of the points scored is their attitude like you could be a fantastic person at clipping but if you are going to talk back and not tell you're going to tell the person that's showing you stuff do you know how to do it you know you're not going to score good in attitude you have to have a good attitude for all these things it's like sport if your attitude's wrong, you're not going to do anything right, like, you know? So, that's what we do. We um, we score all the kids, you know, and then we normally have a team going through of between 12 and 15 kids who qualify for the final. So, it's normally between three and five kids from each section that qualify for the finals. Um, you know, uh, go back to 2019... We won all three sections in the home finals. We won the junior, we won the intermediate, we won the senior. You know, it's fantastic. Uh, go back last October, the finals were held in Scotland. Uh, we were second and third in the junior, first, sec- first and second in the intermediate, and I think was it second, third and fourth possibly in the senior section, or maybe. Uh, second, fourth and fifth or something but we were very close in all three sections last year you know and the the good thing about it is like the two guys that were second and third in the junior section last year is Sam Ferguson and um, Adam Carney that was the first year of ever doing YDP you know I remember Adam came to uh, YDP up at Felicity McGrath last year and he was very nervous you know, didn't know what to do. Two weeks later, at the Cork YDP, he was like a completely different changed child. Like, you know, um, the winner of the intermediate section, Cleona Smith, last year, gave a display of clipping at the finals. And she actually had a crowd of people around her watching her clipping an animal. And she actually only fully clipped an animal for the first time the week beforehand. You know, it's... It's, it's, it's as much about the novice person and the first timer as it is the person that turns, you know. Um, the finals as well, there's just great prizes at the finals, but it's not even about the prizes. Um, I suppose the prizes, like your junior winner wins a set of battery clippers, your intermediate winner wins a, a blower, and your senior winner gets a £2,000 travel bursary to go study Angus Cattle in parts of the world, like, wherever they want to spend it on. You know, but, like, there's numerous uh, cash prizes then for different sections in your, your ring craft, your clipping, your grooming, you know, 
the seniors have to do a panel interview and the intermediates have to do a presentation at the weekend of the finals. You know, so there's, there's lots of different sections on it. But the one thing I find with it is, it's the friendships they all make at. Like, there's the likes of John Smith there is probably got more friends in the UK now than he would have thought of because of the YDP, you know. And the great thing about it there is he's a limousine breeder who's now start, uh, who's working for our association, but has bought an Angus Heifer there last year. You know, the, that's the great thing about having an open competition to everyone is that, you know, you're bringing in new breeders into it, like, you know, the, um, I don't know, the Scottish breeder, the Scottish coordinator, Stephanie Dick, is predominantly known as probably from one of the most famous limousine herds in Scotland, but now has a 20 cow Angus herd going as well because of the YDP. You know, it's, it's more about bringing in new breeders and it's the friendships you make is the biggest thing I find with it, you know. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, some programme, like it's kind of one of, one of only, you know, it's, it's only the Angus that have something so unique and so successful as this. But look, on, on that note, Niall, we'll wrap it up and just want to thank you very much for, for joining me on the podcast. Um, and best of luck to yourself with the Cranmore Herd and the Youth Development Programme throughout the year. Yeah, and Owen, I want to thank you for inviting me on and to you and your teammates there in your school's competition. Look, what you're doing here with this podcast is brilliant. I've listened to all the previous three and I found them fantastic. So far, they're a good listen. I hope I, I hope I think as good and I'm not boring everyone now. So thanks very much for the whole lot, like yeah, thanks very much Niall thank you Ron that's all we've time for on this week's episode of the Angus to the Four podcast if you'd like to find out more information about what was discussed in the interview visit irishaberdeenangus.com or on any of their social media pages there's plenty more podcast episodes on the way so stay tuned as mentioned earlier in this episode, we are now one of five finalists in the Certified Irish Angus Beef Schools competition, sponsored by ABP and Key Pack. We will receive five Irish Angus calves at the National Ploughing Championships in September, and we hope to meet many of you, our listeners, at this event. To follow our project to date, access to our innovative bullfinder, videos, new podcast episodes, news and much more, visit angustothefore.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here soon.